Um, but today we're going to look at what we can so easily do as Christians, how we can misplace people and move them out because we don't feel like they fit in to our way of what the church should look like. I want to speak to you on the subject of gentrification of the gospel. We're going to be reading out of Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 19, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10. But before I read that, I kind of want to just clarify what gentrification means, because a lot of you guys are like, okay, whoa, that's, that's, a, that's a heavy topic, so just bear with me. I'm going to just expound on this just a little bit before we get into our text. Gentrification is a process of renovating deteriorated urban neighborhoods by means of the influx of more affluent residents. This is a common and controversial topic in politics and in urban planning. Gentrification can improve the material quality of a neighborhood while also potentially forcing relocation of, of the current established residents and businesses, causing them to move from a gentrified area, seeking lower cost housing and stores. Gentrification often shifts a neighborhood's racial ethnic composition and average household income by developing new, more expensive housing, businesses, and improved resources. Conversations about gentrification have evolved as many in the social scientific community have questioned the negative connotations associated with the word gentrification. One example is that gentrification can lead to community displacement for lower income families in the gentrifying neighborhoods. As property values and rental costs rise, however, everyone, every, Every neighborhood faces unique challenges and reasons for displacement vary. The gentrification process is typically the result of increasing attraction to an area by people with higher incomes spilling over from neighborhood and cities, towns, or neighborhoods. Further steps are increased investments in a community and the related infra infrastructure by the real estate development business, local government, or community activities and resulting economic development. Increased attraction of businesses and lower crime rates. In addition to these potential benefits, gentrification can lead to population migration and displacement. However, some view the fear of displacement, which is dominating the debate about gentrification, as hindering discussion about genuine progressive approaches to distribute the benefits of urban redevelopment strategies. So, we're going to read out of Luke 19. Verse 1 through 10. Now that you kind of have an idea what gentrification is. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho. And so to give some context to this story, this is when Jesus was entering Jericho and walking to Jerusalem. And when he was about to endure the cross. And so he encounters this guy named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Um, and so if you don't know, if you're not familiar with chief tax collectors in the Bible, what they were, they were just like rude, ugly people that stole people's money. They took more taxes than what they really needed. And so a chief tax collector, collector, which was Zacchaeus, he ended up taking more money than what was needed. So that's like us paying our regular taxes and then them asking us for thousands of dollars more so that they can just pocket it and put it in their pocket. So this is, this is um, what Luke 19, 1 through 10 says. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter. So the crowd began to mutter. 
and complain about what Jesus had just did. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner? Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. You may say, that doesn't make sense. Zacchaeus was rich. He wasn't poor, but, but ultimately it doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor. It's a matter of displacing people. Today we are looking at what we can so easily do as Christians. How we can misplace people and move them out because we don't feel like they fit in to our way of what the church should look like. Will you pray with me one more time before we get into our message? Father, I thank you, Lord, for today. I thank you for every individual that's in this room right now. Father, I pray that as I preach this message that it would be your words speaking through me. Father, I get rid of any anxiety, any fear, anything that would hinder me from preaching your word. Father, I thank you that ears are open today, that hearts are open to receive what you have for us, that we would leave this place different than when we came in, that we would leave this place ready to encounter new people, that we will leave this place ready to reach our city. That we would leave this place ready to touch the hurting and the broken. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Everybody shout number one. When we diminish the power of the gospel, we separate the people we are called to love. When we diminish the power of the gospel, we separate the people we are called to love. Mark 2, 15 through 17 says this. While he was reclining at the table... In Levi's house. So this is um, Mark' account of what Jesus was doing at the time. While he was reclining, Jesus at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who were following him. When the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, "Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners?" Verse seventeen. When Jesus heard this, he told them, "It is not." Those who are well, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners. The power of the gospel is bringing people in that we don't necessarily identify with. The power of the gospel is sitting with people that don't have our same idea or viewpoints. It's being like Jesus and sitting with the people that the outside crowd doesn't agree with. Jesus didn't come for the well, but he came for what? The lost, the broken, the sick, the hurting, the disenfranchised. And so this is a question that we have to ask ourselves. And this message for me has been one that I've been kind of just wrestling with all for the last two weeks. I'm like, okay, like this is a heavy topic, but it's been one that God has just kind of just been rooting in me and stirring in me. I believe that this is for our church. So I love you guys. Just know that I love you. (laughs) Um, So this is a question that we have to wrestle with when we're talking about gentrification. Who does the gospel include? In our lives, who does the gospel include? Many of us believe that the gospel isn't meant for the lost. Only the lost that we define as lost. And I'm guilty of this too. Many times in church church culture, we say, oh, we're going to reach the lost. We're going to reach the lost. We're going to reach the lost. We're going to do this homeless outreach. We're going to do this outreach. And all those things are good. Like, we need to do those things. 
But we've gotten to a point where we, we've, dis, we've displaced people. And we've defined them as what we want to define them as. We, we say, okay, well, I'm going to go downtown and I'm going to reach the lost. Okay, but what does that look like? Really, reaching the lost can look like anything. Reaching the lost can look like the people that are at your job. Reaching the lost can look like the people that, that, are, are, that are in your family, the friends that you hang out with. Reaching the lost doesn't have to be this, this idea of going out into the city and, 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 and feeding the homeless and doing all those. All those things are great, right? All those things are things that we should do. But that's not the only thing that we should be doing. And so this idea of, of gentrification is, is displacing people and putting them in a category that we deem what we, what, we, what we feel like is the lost. And so we have to take a look at who, who does the gospel include? The real issue here is that, that we don't really believe that we are lost. There comes a point where you come into church and like, we're, oh, I'm no longer lost. Like we say, okay, we're going to reach the lost. But at one point, I remember being lost. And some days I'm still lost. Some days I still walk around, Lord, like, what am I doing? What's happening in my life? Like, I, I, feel, I feel like I don't know you. I feel lost. And so we have to be careful with that wording, who we deem is lost. And then we believe it's for, so the real issue here is that we don't really believe that we are lost. We believe that it is for the people that are lost, lost. It's like, oh, I'm no longer lost. I'm like, but we, 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 we think that this is for, like, the people that are lost, lost, we say, okay, I'm going to go reach the lost, lost. Well, what is the lost, lost? You know, like we have this, this mind, this culture, this stigma in our hearts. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to go reach the lost. But weren't we all lost at one point? Weren't we all broken at one point? Still broken? Still messed up people? So we do that when we start to judge degrees of lostness. We have, we have minimized our perception and turned it into what we deem as lost. We say things like, man, that person was really lost. That person is really broken. That person is really messed up. That person really needs Jesus. Man, I, man he, I, I'm nothing like him. Man, if I was something like him, man, I would really need you. He really needs Jesus. Like, I don't need Jesus, but he really needs Jesus. We say things like that all the time. But when we diminish the power of the gospel... We separate the people that we are called to love. And I love this, this text in Luke 19. How Zacchaeus, a tax collector, nobody liked him. The crowd was in uproar. They were in literal, literal uproar when Jesus went to his house and said, Zacchaeus, get down from that tree. I want to spend time with you. I want to get to know you. But what, what, what really sticks out to me in that moment is that Jesus could have followed the crowd. The crowd that was pressing him to go to Jerusalem. He could have kept going. He could have, he could have just kept pressing on to what his agenda, what his thing was. But no, he chose to say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to spend time with Zacchaeus. I'm, I'm going to spend time in his house. And that to me shows like the most vulnerable place you could ever be is in someone's home. So the crowd just was in uproar, waiting for him outside, saying, why, why is he hanging out with him? What is he doing? He's a sinner. And I, I come to think, I'm like, I think about that crowd, and I think about probably Jesus probably just healed multi multiple people that were in that crowd. He probably touched multiple people that were in that crowd that were following him. But they quickly forgot. They quickly forgot the gospel. They quickly forgot what the gospel was for. And so we can't forget that, number one, when we diminish the power of the gospel, we separate the people we are called to love. And by Sean, number two, when we forget the power of the cross, we gravitate towards doing things our own way. When we forget the power of the cross, we gravitate towards doing things 
on the way. I'm going to read out of John 20, verse 24 to 29. And this is about Thomas, known as Doubting Thomas in the Bible. He's one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And so this was when Jesus had risen from the the grave three days later. And um, he came to his disciples. And he met up with Thomas. But it says this in verse 24. It says this, but Thomas, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hands into his side, I will never believe. Verse 26, a week later, so this was a week later, a week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, I like this small little detail, even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, just wait a minute. Like, the doors were locked. Okay. The Lord, like, Jesus just showed up. He just ascended from heaven. I don't know how he got in there. I don't know if he just walked through the door and it's like, like, I don't know what happened. But they had to tell you that detail. The doors were locked. Cool, cool. That was a miracle in itself. Praise the Lord. He just just walked right on in there. He didn't even need the key. Praise the Lord. The doors were locked. (laughs) Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hand. Reach out your hand. And put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but what? But what? But believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Have any of you in this room ever felt like at one point in your life and your walk with God, you felt at one point in your life that you should go and talk to somebody and tell them about Jesus. Anybody? Show of hands. Awesome. So I was, I was this was years back, and I was um, in Bible school at the time. And uh, me and a couple of my friends, we just went out to, to eat lunch like we normally do, hang out. And uh, we went to this place called Cheddar's. Yeah. Oh, some of you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cheddar's is the bomb. We need to get a Cheddar's here. But we went to this place called Cheddar's, and we, um, we were just having lunch, just hanging out, just doing, goofing around, doing our thing, um, hanging out, having a good time. And we had sat down in a booth, and there was this person that was across from me, this guy that was in this booth like that was across from me. And, and I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, go, go talk to that guy. Go talk to that guy. And I'm like, I'm just about to eat my chicken. You know, I'm like, oh, I don't want to go talk to them. No, I'm not going to go talk to them. No way. I'm not going to. I'm eating. I'm chilling right now. I don't want to do that. He said, and he said it again to me. He said, go, tell, go talk to them and tell them that I love them. And I just continued laughing and talking with my friends, hanging out. I, I was just like, no, that's not Jesus. I was like, no, that's not. That's, not, that's just me just being dumb. I don't know. I'm not going to do that. That's just, he's going to think I'm an idiot. He's going to think I'm weird. He's going to think I'm, no, I'm not going to go talk to him. And then the third time. I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, go, go talk to that person and tell them I love them. And once again, I wrestled with it. I'm like, no, I can't. No, I can't. No, I can't. I, I, he's going to think I'm weird. He's going to think I'm a weirdo. And this person, mind you, looked, he looked normal. He looked like a regular dude. He was happy hanging out with his friends. I didn't want to disturb him. And the Lord said that third time, go talk to him and tell him I love him. And I was sitting down, and I was just wrestling in my heart. And none of my friends knew that, that I was wrestling with this because I was just like, you know, laughing on the outside, but internally, I'm like, there's just turmoil. There's just a wrestle with Jesus. And I was like, okay, okay. I was trying to pick up the nerves to go and talk to him. He ended up getting up and leaving, and I never had a chance to talk to him. And um, I left that place, and I went to my house, and I was just so sad. I was just like, man, why? Why didn't I go talk to that person? 
And I'm in Bible school at the time, so I know who Jesus is, supposedly. You know, like, I'm learning about Jesus, I'm, and we're doing outreaches. We're doing all these things. We're, we're going and reaching the lost. You know, we're doing all these things. And, and I felt in that moment when I was at home, and I was like, Lord, I miss an opportunity. I miss an opportunity. And the Lord said this to me, Andrew, never miss an opportunity to love and reach out to the people around you. Never miss an opportunity to reach out and love the people around you. Meaning, I didn't have to have an outreach to go reach people. And I was like, I was just like needing, like, at some point we just need, we feel like we need those things. We feel like we need an outreach to go reach people, to reach the lost and, and do all those things. But I, I felt in that moment, and, and I was talking to Jesus in that moment, I said, Lord, I, I will never, I will never not listen to you again. If you tell me to go somewhere, I will go somewhere. If you tell me to talk to somebody, I will talk to them. If you tell me to go and love on them, I will love on them. Why? Because I knew the importance of, of loving on people and seeing them right where they are. The small, simple fact of just saying, Jesus loves you. Like, that wasn't hard. He told me what to say. He didn't just tell me to go up there. He literally said, go and tell them that I love them. That's all that I had to do is go and say, hey, I don't know. I don't know your story. I don't know your background, but I know that Jesus loves you. That simple. And I could have just walked away. But in that moment, I didn't. Why? Because I forgot the power of the cross. In that small moment, I forgot the power of a cross, and I gravitated toward doing things my own way. And I missed an opportunity to reach people that God was calling me to reach. So what does gravitating toward your own way look like? It looks like the simple fact of us not stopping to reach the people that God has called us to love. It looks like not, not being obedient to what Jesus is calling us to do. Doing things our own way is caused by our own doubt and who God says he is and what he has called us to do. Just like Thomas who doubted Jesus, even when Jesus was right in front of him, he still doubted him. This leads me to my third point. When we minimize the power that lives in us, we follow the crowd around us. When we minimize the power that lives in us, we follow the crowd that is around us. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2, this is the new, the NIV version, it says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, that's you and I, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse 2, do not conform. Somebody shout, conform. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What are the patterns of this world that Paul's referring to? He's ultimately saying, don't get comfortable in how we are living. Don't just settle for a life that is mediocre. And I'm not talking about the material things in life. I'm not talking about the material things that we, that we, that we love to have in life. I'm talking about the effectiveness that we have with Jesus. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. 1 John 4, 4 also says this. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. When we minimize the power that lives in us, we follow the crowd that is around us. 
when we minimize who Jesus is in our lives, we tend to follow the crowd that is around us. We follow our friends. We follow our family. We follow the status. And we can do this in church. A lot of times, we like to follow the bigger churches or what they're doing. We like to wear their jean jackets and look hipster and cool. I'm all for looking hipster and cool. You know what I'm saying? Because I look good. You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> that can be the only, that can be our, our main objective and our main goal. If we're following the crowd and we're doing all these things and we're missing the very point of Jesus and who Jesus is in our lives. So when we minimize the power that lives in us, we follow the crowd that is around us. In my Bible, it says, greater is he that is what? In you than he that is in the world. Greater is he than any circumstance that you face. Greater is he than any sickness that's in your body. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So when we minimize the power that lives in us, we follow the crowd around us. Jesus never went to a town, never not once in the Bible. He never went to a town and changed the structure of the buildings. He never went to a town and changed the businesses that were in that town. He never went to a town and built all these amazing schools and these amazing cathedrals and all these different things. No, what did he do? He went into a town and he reached people and saw them right where they are. He knew the importance of seeing people and loving them and meeting them right where they are. Every account in the word of God with the adulterer, what did he do? He loved her and saw her. With the tax collector, what did he do? He ate with them. He dined with them. He hung out with them. The people that the crowd never, that, that they didn't like. The people that the crowd hated, what did he do? He hung out with them because he knew the greatness that was in him. He knew that he could change lives. And so when we know the power that lives in us, then we know who we can reach and who we can meet. And that's an important thing to do. We should never minimize the power that lives in us. And we should never follow the crowd that is around us. Because I'm going to tell you, if I were to follow the crowd that is around me, I don't know where I would be. If I were to follow the crowd in high school, the people that were cool, I don't know where I would be. If I were to follow the people that were in my college that were doing things that I didn't necessarily agree with, if I were to follow them, I don't know where I would be. But my eyes have continued to be on Jesus. And our eyes should continue to be on Jesus. And we should never minimize the power that lives in us to reach people and to see them right where they are. Amen? And my last and final point is this. Everybody shout number four. When we neglect to take time with Jesus, we lose our impact to reach people. Let me say that again. When we neglect to take time with Jesus, we lose our impact to reach people. And I'm going to have the band come up. John 15, 1 through 7, it says this. I am the true vine. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit... He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. He says this, abide in me. Somebody shout in me. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, 
you can do nothing. Apart from him, we can do what? Apart from him, we can do what? Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This shows me in this first verse alone, that if we aren't abiding in him, we will not produce much fruit. That if we're not choosing to rely on him, if we're not choosing to commune with him, if we're not choosing every single day to love on him, we will never produce more fruit. What does fruit look like? Fruit looks like souls being one. Fruit looks like the people coming out of darkness, coming into light. Fruit looks like your neighbor that doesn't know who Jesus is, but all of a sudden encounters Jesus because of the way that you live. Not even stepping foot in these church doors, but accounting Jesus, encountering Jesus because of the way that you live. That's what fruit looks like. And so we have to abide. Everybody shout abide. We have to abide in him so that we can bear much fruit and we can produce much fruit. When Jesus went around healing and teaching, he never once changed the environment. Never not once. He never once changed the building structures like I said earlier. But what did he do? He saw people. He loved them. He met them right where they are. And so this idea of gentrification, we can never lose sight of, of what we're called to do. And we can never lose sight of who we were before we knew who Jesus was. We can never lose sight of where we were brought out of, what we were brought out of. We can never lose sight of the sickness that Jesus healed us from. We can never lose sight of what Jesus has done in our lives. Or else we will lose our effectiveness to reach the city. We will lose our potency to reach people that are lost. Listen, we didn't build this second campus to, to reach this city, a, a certain demographic of people. Although that's part of it. We built this campus so that we can love on people and show them who Jesus is in this city. And because we are in this city, it's going to change the city. Because why? We're not called to change the people. We're called to love the people. Jesus is the one that does the changing. And so these are things that I pray. I pray that we are more consumed about Jesus than we are about the people that are around us. Why? Because when we focus on Jesus, everything around us gets better. Instead of everything that is going around us, I pray that we can look up to the God that is over every situation who delivers and meets us right where we are. I pray that we can be a people that don't go into an area wanting to change the area, but rather wanting Jesus to meet and touch the people in that area. I pray that we are people that reach out to the marginalized and to the down and out. I pray that we're that church. I pray that we can leave these, these doors today, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, loving on the people that are around us and not, not sticking them into a category. Not saying, oh, well, they're not lost. Not making assumptions about people. 
but being obedient to what God has called us to do, and that's to love people and see them right where they are. No matter their status, no matter their background, no matter what they believe, no matter what they look like. This isn't a black or white issue. This isn't a rich or poor issue. This isn't a young or old issue. This is a Jesus issue. And we should allow Jesus to change people and to work in their hearts and in their minds. Amen? Will you stand with me?